The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Why is this so important? Why did you pick this story? Why does this matter? This is the news. And why, 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 and why it matters. Hi, I'm Sarah Gonzalez. Welcome to the news and why it matters. We have a special guest today. Kevin Williamson joining us. Yay! Thanks for joining us at the table today. Glenn, what was the top story? Uh, I would say uh, Iran, a story that nobody's talking about and we should be paying attention to. One of the most uh, viewed videos uh, on the entire globe, reached about half the globe last year, was completely false. Oh, all right. Mm -hmm. Pat? The right loves tariffs. (laughs) <laughs> Good setup Kevin. for Kevin. Yeah. And related, trade deficits still don't matter. Ah. Okay. Nothing matters anymore. <laughs> Nothing matters. Yeah. All right, Glenn. So uh, I, I spent, for some reason, I was having lunch, and I found somebody had come in and turned the sound on CNN. And for the life of me, I didn't know how to turn it down. <laughs> so I sat there and I watched it for the first time in I don't know how many I'm weeks. I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. First of all, there's no news. I don't know if you've watched CNN lately, but it is just opinions about speculation. Mm. You know, they'll say, and some breaking news. We think the president might have. What's your opinion? <laughs> like, that's not news. That's, there's no news here. Um, but they, they were talking about how, how out of touch the president is on Iran and, uh, and how this policy is just going to cause even more problems in the Middle East, and Iran is starting to collapse. Isn't that what we've all wanted since 1979? <laughs> I mean, how is that out of touch? That's what we've wanted. And to, sh- to show all he did was just stop doing what Obama did. And they're going to collapse. They're going to collapse on their own weight. That's good. If you'll forgive me for doing my my Kevin Williamson impersonation here, it can always get worse. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, that's that's something we need to think about. Yeah, no, it could. Especially with Iran. I mean, it could could be a lot worse. And, you know, maybe that's what... But if we are are smart uh, and the allies all look at what a mess that's going to be on collapse and we... We try to support the people. Mm-hmm. It, it might not be worse. I mean, it could be. Look at the whole in the Middle East. Yeah. But look at what they've been. Look at what they've been trying to do. They're, encir- they're encircling Israel. They're desperate. Mm-hmm. This would make that stop. I think your optimism is it might not be horrible, um, which is good. I'm, I'm for that region is actually I think pretty positive. I, mean, I just want to know. I just want to know what the left. What was your intention with Iran? What was your intention? If he's out of touch, his policies are the policies that we have been following, with the exception of Obama, we've been following since 1979. It's now beginning to work. They're about to collapse. What was the intention of the media? Yeah, I mean, we're here we are in the you know we're in the Me Too movement, Year of the Woman, Handmaid's Tale. God, Trump could turn it into this at any time. Here's a country that's basically running that way, yes. right? Yes. It has been for many, many years. Right. Uh, here's a chance to take down that regime and, and give freedom to the people that have, you know, for a very long time wanted it, seemingly, but have never been able to break through. And now we look at that as a negative. But we're not taking it down. We're not taking it down. We're not taking, you know. We're well, just, we're, I, we didn't take down Venezuela. No. We're just not bailing them out. Yep. So what do you think our position should be on that, that we just say to them, look, when you guys figure out what you want to do after this, we're here to help, and here's our phone number, and we'll be you know, standing by? 
I mean, Ernest, I'm not being entirely facetious there. I mean, shouldn't that be basically what we do? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not for nation building. I mean, that's what's gotten us into this trouble. We, the problem is doing nation building for nations that don't want to be built. Yes. You know, if the because Iran used to be more of a normal country. It yes. used to have sort of a normal liberal uh, culture. So if Iran afterwards decides they want to become more like a normal, you know, liberal democratic country, love then maybe to, we could help. Yeah, love to be their friend. Don't want to control their country. Don't want to own. Don't want to pick anybody. You know, I, I, I've become much more in the last 20 years. I think we all have. You know, 20 years ago, we were all like, go get them. Leave it alone. Yeah, now it's just like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? They have to do it on their own. We can help, but we're, it's none of our business. I'm so confused on, so their angle, CNN's angle was. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like this. don't, don't, I can't explain it. <laughs> okay, so no, just I don't even, I mean, really. I I what, it's an interesting way. because you're a bad thing for it their was just, economy to collapse. Yeah, it, yes, so. and it's just. I mean, if you watch the 40 minutes that I watched, it was Donald Trump is bad. Donald Trump is bad. Donald Trump is bad. Donald Trump is bad. Every story they covered, that was the angle, whether it was based in fact, speculation or a reversal in this case of everything our country has done, with an exception of Barack Obama. CNN has an amazing ability to not be bored by Donald Trump. Like, I don't know. I see the same thing, and he's saying these things on Twitter. Every day I wake up and there's another one. I just don't care about it anymore. And they don't have that capacity. I mean, and they do frame things that way. Like, he was making a speech the other day uh, at some rally, and it was the the lower third at the bottom of the screen was something to the effect of Trump makes speech in, you know, Ohio uh, amid Russian collusion attacks and enlisted like three of the potential scandals about Donald Trump. Well, you could say amid anything, right? Amid a really strong economy, amid a new Supreme Court justice pick, you could say amid anything. It's just they just select those things and try to make him look as bad as possible when he's really good at that already. He's really good at making himself just, look bad. You don't have to we push. Were ta- we were talking about what's this, or Richard Spencer. We were talking about Richard Spencer today. And I said, we should have him on. We should have him on. And this is, now this the is a real meeting. This actually <laughs> happened. Yes. yes. And now the argument is, why give him space? And I'm like, because have you ever seen him in an interview? It is so clear the alt-right has nothing to do with conservatives. When it's coming out of his mouth, it is crystal clear. You don't ever have to say anything except, hey, how do you feel about socialism? You know, I interviewed him about six months ago. I wrote a profile about him. Yeah. Uh, he's from Dallas originally, actually. He went to some fancy uh, Highland Park uh, you know, private school, that sort of thing. Um, I, he's actually pretty good in interviews, I think. I mean, he's articulate in that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, obviously not really a conservative as we would understand that, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. to say At the all. least. And, and, and uh, you know, he's got some really uh, god-awful ideas about race. But um, I've always objected to the idea, uh, this criticism, why give these people a platform? Um, if there are people in the world who are doing things that have, you know, some kind of following or some kind of public impact, then, you know, bring them out there and let people know about it. I think that's what you know, the news is there to do. It's not there to, uh, uh, to pick and choose from viewpoints because you're not really promoting things exactly. You're telling people about what's going on in the world. And for better or for worse, in this case for much worse, Richard Spencer is something that's going on in the world that's of some consequence. It's interesting to see, too. I mean, you know, obviously lots of negative pressures on Richard Spencer. You don't see him abandoning his values. You don't see him like, oh, you know what? I really like black people now. Like, he just stays exactly where he is. And it's like, while it's a horrific thing to say, and every one piece of his ideology is terrible, you, on, you, you watch the mainstream media figures are constantly bailing on what they supposedly believed all these years. And, you know, 
again, I, I've always been a, a, in praise of ideology. People use that as a negative term. Mm-hmm. I kind of find it to be a positive one. It's a way of you're actually making rational decisions. It's not you know just flying around from side to side. We could use a little bit more people who actually think things out and you know come to different conclusions than Richard Spencer's clearly, but at least stick to what they actually believe and don't just you know blow Until back. Until there mm-hmm. is evidence that you are wrong. Yeah, and then change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of CNN and fake news, what is this viral video? So a uh, viral video uh, viewed over 2.5 billion times. Um, it's the most popular video in the history of National Geographic. Oh. Uh, and it is very, very tough to watch. It's a video of a polar bear struggling uh, for life. Oh, yeah. uh, and you probably saw it on Facebook or somewhere else. Let's uh, watch a little clip. This is obscene. Wow. Sad. Sad. And? Ah. Pictures rise. I mean, lost access awful. to seals. Really yeah, right, yeah. The seals have all moved. Really tough to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. The issue is now National Geographic has to come out and apologize because this had. There's no evidence Nothing at all that this had anything warming. to do with climate change uh, <laughs> at all. And according so to the great. people who actually took the footage, their mm. intent wasn't even to show that this had anything to do with climate change. Wait, their, wait, wait. Was this their intent? Did this polar bear live around a bunch of Republican polar bears? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> just didn't mind people starving and no. bears starving. No, so, shockingly, no. Um, it was a. They were. They decided to take the picture and then tell people this is what it would look like if polar bears in the future start dying this way. <laughs> oh. Well, that was super clear. Um, and it was really clear, especially when the first thing is, this is what climate change looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what climate change looks look like in the future if it happens and if this happens to polar bears. Um, and it's amazing because... Because it, as things stand, polar bears don't die. No, they don't. They currently are living. They're, they're <laughs> eternal creatures. They're immortal. Yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's amazing is in the... In, I mean, 2.5 billion views. Think of the impact that that's had. Uh, and mm. when they, they're talking about it, they're like, we wanted to come up... You know, we, we realize now we made a mistake. Um, you know, here's one of the uh, clips from, they said, a photograph, uh, the photographer and I are on a mission to capture images that communicate the urgency of climate change, documenting its effects on wildlife. Hasn't been easy. Again, if this was what the problem you say it is, it probably would be pretty mm-hmm. easy. With this image, mm-hmm. we thought we had found a way to help people imagine what the future of climate change might look like. We were perhaps naive. The picture went viral and people took it literally. No, you weren't naive. You no. knew exactly what you were well, doing. especially when the first words are, this is what climate change looked like. Uh, the other thing is they said, we were, were really, we wanted to show that the global population of 25,000 polar bears is really at risk. What they don't tell you is that it used to be 5,000 polar bears just a couple of decades ago, and it's grown by five times that amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's tough to take these arguments seriously when they're presented this way. And they didn't tell you the problem here was the polar bear was either old or incredibly sick, or yeah. both, or wounded can in you, some way. Can you confirm what the polar bear that you have died from? Oh, yeah. it, I it, shot it, it in the head change? about a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 24,999 polar bears. <laughs> I, like to, I like to just teach everybody they're mean bears. Uh, he was going to rip uh, you know, somebody's lungs out at some point. Mm-hmm. So I just flew up and shot him in the head. Oh. And uh, that's it. <laughs> Good. Uh, so we can't escape fake news, it seems. So we, we've got it on all of the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. 
we've got it on, uh, you okay. know, and, and National Geographic. National Geographic. <laughs> and not to mention, Where, lots I mean, of publications wrote about stories then about the video, yeah. saying how impactful it was about climate change and telling us the truth about climate change when the photographers themselves say it's not the truth about climate change. You know, there was an article several years ago, I want to say it was in Nature, uh, Jonah Goldberg wrote a piece about it for National Review, in which a scientist was actually talking about this very thing about you know, how much truth do we tell the public? And when we have things that are complicated questions, how do we go about simplifying this in a way that produces the policy outcomes that we think are important? And essentially, it was a case of, you know, of a guy, a person in the truth business, uh, arguing that they should mislead people uh, if it produces the sort of policy outcomes they want. So it's something that's not terribly surprising. I'm afraid. I, I, I was in one of you guys, I think, was in the studio with me. Uh, when I did, this is back 2007, the crash was coming. And I was talking to a very respected uh, news person. And he just was hammering me and hammering and hammering that these things were not, you know, Fannie Mae is fine. All of this stuff is fine. We got off the air and I said, you cannot believe those things. And he didn't even look at me. He just had his head here and he said, you're being irresponsible. And I said, wait, because (laughs) saying it or because I'm wrong? And he said... There are things, and then he turned to me, that we don't tell people. I was like, what? I had never, in my wildest dreams, I would have never thought that that came. And this somebody that I actually really respected. The argument being that you were going to panic the public? Panic the people and make them, and yes, it is coming, but it's our job to keep everybody together and everybody. No, it's our job to tell the truth. That's our job. Uh, tell your truth, Glenn. There is I no, know. Well, there is no your truth. truth. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> Let's take a break before we get into a Paris. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. This is the news. And why? 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 Why it matters. You notice that they didn't. Hang on just a second. Uh, okay. Before, excuse me, but you've just you've just uh, kind of just rudely interrupted our off-air conversation. <laughs> so did you see the polar bear the the polar bear story where the person on the cruise ship had to shoot it because it was no. going after one of the passengers on the ship? Mm. And they had to shoot it. Didn't see that one, did you? No. Didn't see oh. that story anywhere where big scary bear is about to eat a human. No, we see the little, little sad one that's just going to what? We get in trouble for killing and clubbing baby seals. They rip them apart and eat them. <laughs> yeah. Why was it attacking a human? Because there were no seals. Oh, oh well, there you're there. Right. That's climate change. Okay, I'll take it back. <laughs> All right. Change. Okay, Pat. Tariffs. Tariffs. Um, Republicans are, are for some really conservative principles like uh, the DREAM Act. And comprehensive immigration <laughs> reform now. Mm-hmm. Uh, bailouts, which is a, a really solidly conservative uh, principle. <laughs> and now tariffs. They found a way to love tariffs now because, well, everything's been unfair. And this is the only way to fix things. Mm. And if you're against tariffs, uh, you're now a globalist. And uh, people like uh, the Koch brothers are just simply globalists now because... <laughs> the, the turnaround on the Coke co- co- uh, Is this amazing? It's amazing. I mean, Laura Ingram went off for, I don't know, seven or eight minutes last night about how bad the Koch brothers are. I mean, they're good at some things, but they're terrible on this tariff thing because they're globalists and they have 
employees outside of this country. Only only like 60 percent of their employees are in the United States. Um, so only, only more than half. <laughs> only more than half of their giant multi-billion dollar corporations. And, and these proposals and policies that we used to loathe and would uh, would have attacked Barack Obama relentlessly on are now all of a sudden in favor with the right. So what happened to us, Kevin? What happened? Um, we got revealed, I think, is what happened. So there are a lot of people in the uh, you know, movement, as we sometimes like to call it, who never really believed anything to start with, uh, who were just yeah. not smart enough to go to law school and too lazy to sell real estate. Although, <laughs> I guess, uh, Laura Ingham went to law school, of course, so it's not true of her. Um, although, you know, it's funny for her to call people globalists, because I'm thinking if I can remember her resume, her only jobs in life were working on Capitol Hill for a New York City law firm and now a giant media company. Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know, Fox News is not exactly a little parochial concern. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's got some, some stretch. So um, there are a lot of people in these uh, jobs. I've, my little neologism for them is entrepreneurs, uh, you know, people who sort of make a career out of conservatism, which um, mm. perhaps I'm as guilty of as anyone else. I mean, it is what I do for a living, is I write for, you know, conservative publications and such things. But, um, but there's a species with, within our, our little universe of people who, uh, just don't really believe anything, and uh, they'll you know change on the whatever they need to, whenever they need to, uh, for whatever reason they think. So they're 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 the you know try to get out in front of a parade people, and their greatest fear in life is being doesn't, left behind. Doesn't it seem like though, when Bush was in office for his two terms, you could you could agree generally with most of what he was doing, but you could also criticize yes. and say, look, his stance on immigration is not good. People, people on the uh, and Republican, we didn't do we, that. You wanted to we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it, you could make that case, and people say, "Look, I love him on this and this, but right. he's wrong on this." We can't now. Now, if you criticize Trump, you're a, a traitor. You're committing treason. It's really a strange phenomenon. Really strange. I, Charles Cook made this point. I thought really interesting way when it comes with Trump, which was he was asked if he if he supports Trump, and his question was, what does that mean? Like in 2016, mm-hmm. it meant I guess if you're going to vote for him or not. What does it mean now that I have to believe everything he says? That I have to change what I believe to match what he believes? That and that's I have to cheer happened. him on no matter what? What does that even mean at this point? There's no election coming up where Donald Trump's going to be on a ballot for several years. Supporting him or not supporting him, we take individual decisions and we judge them uh, based on their merit. We had a problem when mm-hmm. the left came out with a remember that. Uh, that uh, I pledge my life to Barack Obama. Yeah. You remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah. How yeah. frightening that was. Hymns. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's I mean, that's Creepy kind stuff. of where you're at now. When, yep. when it comes to, and I, I'm, I think that people are giving him the benefit of the doubt that this is a, uh, uh, some sort of a negotiation tactic. But, okay, kind of a scary one. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't go with anything that his record Says, I mean, his record is, I like tariffs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again, I, I don't think the, that that's a negotiation tactic yeah, when you, right. you. I mean, he literally tweeted the other day, tariffs are great. Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> <Trade wars are great. laughs> that's not uh, really. So Republicans have gone from, uh, you know, the, the criticism was always Republicans want to go back to the 1950s and they have all these bad ideas from the 1950s. Now they're going back to the 1850s <laughs> and taking the worst ideas of the 1850s and then uh, resurrecting them in the form of this neo-mercantilist uh, policy. The thing about Trump and the kind of cultism and the you, know, you must support him under all circumstances, minus the, the sort of cult of personality, what else is there, right? 
I mean, it's, you know, no one voted for Trump because he's got really interesting and sophisticated po- policy ideas. I mean, just, mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, no one voted for Trump because he's got some blazingly original ideas about how to run government or that sort of thing. I mean, that's just not what he does. Um, you know, Trump is purely an expression of this tribalistic impulse on the right. Of, it's us and these people suck and we have to say that they suck and that's what we're going to do. Um, it's what we're going to do all day. And if we don't do anything else, that's fine, because all that really matters is that we get this emotional validation yeah. and yeah, uh, mood affiliation good. of doing that. So, you know, Trump could say, you know, X one day and not X the next day, which he does all the time. He's been on every side of every conceivable issue and people will run along with him. It's just fun to watch the people who are on television, you know, every night uh, trying to trip over themselves and keep up with it. And that's kind yeah, of but, it, but it's the same on the other side. I mean, why are the Democrats? Why do they have a problem with? Tariffs. Tariffs. Uh, They've wanted tariffs forever. They've loved them. Mm -hmm. And now they have them. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, the Antichrist has has suddenly brought hell upon Earth. What do you, you love that this is your policy. It would be a really interesting alternative universe that I do not want to experience. That the Democrats came out of this and instead of marching on the day he was inaugurated and opposing him, started just looking for the stuff that he agreed with them on and just Mm -hmm. embraced him wholeheartedly and praised him publicly. I mean, they could have done that on issues like tariffs and all sorts of different things that Trump has supported over the years that I think he would have been really friendly to. They would have gone so and, far and with he, it. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, because every time yeah. there's one of those issues that's, you know, in, when he started embracing DACA, you know, they, when there, there have been several issues like that that have been more generally left issues that he's flirted with. And if, if they, instead of saying, oh, well, that's not far enough or we don't believe him, he's a liar, instead of doing that and just embracing him wholeheartedly, they may have had... a a real chance at getting those changes locked in for a long period of time. The thing is that the parties are mirror images of each other, and each of them has the same structure in which you have an activist base that lives to hate the uh, party itself, right? You know, the Tea Party movement on the Republican side was not looking for an alternative to the Democrats. It was looking for an alternative to the Republicans. And the Democrats are the same way. They don't want moderation. They don't want compromise. They don't want bipartisanship. They want confrontation. And so irrespective of what Trump decided to do. He could have, you know, called up Bernie Sanders one day and said, hey, I like everything you stand for. I'm going to I'm going to put that in my agenda now. And the Democrats would be running you know, the Reagan campaign, <laughs> would, which is actually maybe not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sneak that up. Yeah. Uh, all right. We got to take a break. Really? Uh, I think you're absolutely true. Uh, absolutely right. There's no way. They wouldn't have been able Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze Premium subscribers. Become a premium subscriber at theblaze.com slash subscribe. This is the news. And why. 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 Why it matters. (laughs) Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Kevin. So explain to, you know, the farmers out there who are receiving a subsidy now. Because of the tariff, and I've been, I feel Another like subsidy. okay. So yeah. I am, uh, but, but which we love now. But let's you don't take, love subsidies. You're a globalist, <laughs> right. right? But let's let's take take a serious look at somebody who says, "Look, I have been struggling. China continues to screw us. They're investing in all of their stuff. We mm. don't. I'm I am barely making Ed's meet. Here's a guy who's finally going to say, "I'm. You know what? They're going to pay the right price." Uh, you know, for these American products. Mm. And now they're sitting here and they're really being squeezed, but they're being squeezed, they believe, by China. And they say, we're just sticking with Donald Trump because I think this is negotiation. Well, it's negotiation to solve a problem that doesn't exist is, is the real issue here, that we're causing all of this economic anarchy over something that doesn't matter at all, which are trade deficits. 
uh, trade deficits have no effect on the economy. They have no effect on employment. They have no effect on anything. They're just a bookkeeping entry that some countries sell us more exports than we sell them imports. Um, no one worries about their trade deficit with Kroger. Or, you know, between Amazon Prime and Whole Foods, I have a huge trade deficit <laughs> with Jeff Bezos. And uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not immiserated by it. Uh, you know, it sort of makes my life better off that someone will he organize doesn't buy as many of your products as he you He does have. not. <laughs> Although, well, it's a funny story there, but I can't tell it. Um, <laughs> so um, what was I going to say? Do you know who the biggest uh, U.S. car exporter is by number of employees? BMW. Uh, BMW in Spartanburg, South Carolina, employs about 10,000 people. They're the biggest export uh, operation in the U.S. automotive market. And the money that was invested to make that factory came from our trade deficit with Germany. Because what happens is when we sell stuff to the Germans, the Germans sell stuff for us, we pay them, they get dollars. So there's basically two things they can do with the dollars. They can spend it on stuff. They can buy cars from General Motors or other American-made goods, or they can invest it directly in the United States. And the United States is a really attractive place to invest. So if you spend a billion dollars to build a car factory in Spartanburg, that's a billion dollars you can't spend on stuff that's made in the United States, on Iowa soybeans or whatever else. So that's what trade deficits are. Trade deficits are largely a reflection of the fact that we're a really attractive investment market. So other countries, when people earn dollars, they either hold them, like the Chinese do, for, for currency reasons, because they don't want to hold their own currency, because that would be Crazy. You know, too risky, and ours is a pretty good one, or they invest in the United States. So the reason, um, for instance, we recently ran a small trade surplus with Canada, um, and then we normally run a small trade deficit with Canada. Sometimes you run a big one. But there just aren't that many places for Americans to invest in Canada. I mean, Canada's got some good businesses and things. It's a, it's a fine economy and a good country, but it's not a very big one. Um, for the same reason that the Swiss franc, even though it's probably a better store of uh, value than the dollar is in some ways, Switzerland's just not a big enough country for China to use the Swiss franc as its reserve currency and for the rest of the world to do that as well. So we're a great big country that can absorb a lot of investments. And that's really what trade deficits are about. They're not really about... The fact that Germans don't buy a lot of GM products or Boeing products or Lockheed Martin products or John Deere products or any of that kind of stuff. It's the fact that they invest a lot in the United States. So we're always going to run trade deficits so long as we're a good place to and invest. We want them. The last time we had a trade surplus with the world was 1975, when our economy was in shambles. And we had a trade because nobody wanted to invest <laughs> right. here. So people were, um, you know, they were not doing that. And so that's, uh, that's the way that worked out. You know, Britain, Daniel Hannon says this in one of his speeches that, the UK ran a trade deficit for like 300 years or something at one point, and it was some of the best you know, years in its history. It did run a trade deficit from Waterloo through uh, World War I, which is kind of the height of its power. And uh, it was in no way harmed by this. It was actually quite enriched by it because it got a lot of investment capital, which allowed it to develop its economy. So I think if you asked the people in Spartanburg whether this is a good trade-off, they would say, yeah, we like having our nice jobs at a BMW factory. And there are a lot of other things like that. Do you think actually know that? I think all of them know that. I think they get it. And, uh, you know, because people who work in car factories are pretty smart. Um, you know, it's no longer, you know, turn a wrench. Um, these are pretty sophisticated jobs. You can't just hire anybody to do it. Some years ago, I was in Stuttgart, and I went to a Mercedes factory there, and I was um, interviewing some of the employees there. And they said, we understand why they make SUVs in the United States, because we sell all of our SUVs in the United States. So we're not going to you know, ship them over. It just makes more sense. But we're not worried about them, you know, moving S-Class sedan production to China. Because you could set up a factory in China, but you'd have to move us all there because we're the ones who can do this work and no one else can do it. And we're the best in the world at what we do. 
And that's the thing that's heartbreaking about the farm stuff, because American farmers really are the best in the world at what they do. Um, You know, in West Texas, where I'm from, you've got um, this really, really capital-intensive cotton farming. So you can have, like, two guys harvest, um, oh, what's that farm up there I'm thinking of? It's 22 square miles of cotton. So this is a great big farm, Mm -hmm. and it's a two-guy operation. It's this guy and his son, and they get up in the morning, and they just do that, you know? A hundred years ago, this would have taken thousands of people, uh, low-wage people for the most part, well, slaves once upon a time. And it's actually funny if you watch the evolution of cotton harvesting, right? Because uh, it was a job for slaves once upon a time in the you know, 30s and 40s when my parents were young. They actually picked cotton, which is what you did after work sometimes. And my grandparents did the same thing. It was you know, really low-paid work. And then it started to become a little more profitable as the machinery uh, made labor more valuable. And now you can make a lot of money harvesting cotton. There are guys who make you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year doing this because they've got the machinery to do it and a lot of the people who own farms around them don't want to spend a million dollars on a combine so they gave him you know 20 percent of the take in exchange for him doing it so they're essentially sharecroppers Mm -hmm. but they're millionaire sharecroppers which is not a bad thing to be but manufacturing is the same way right so the number of people employed in agriculture fell because we got better at doing this stuff and we got machines that could do a lot of work to amplify the, the value of labor and the same things happened in manufacturing um we don't have fewer people employed in American factories because our factory output's gone down. It's actually almost double what it was in the 1990s and far higher than it was in the 50s and 60s. Uh, It's automation mainly uh, that's doing that. And the fact that we're more efficient manufacturers than we used to be, which probably ought to be celebrated. I was going to say exactly that, almost word for word. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Same same thing. (laughs) Right there. Well, you're very well spoken. Tip on my tongue. Very well spoken. It's just amazing to me how... I've written this column before. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what this is, is a centrally planned tax increase, right? And it's a redistribution of wealth if it worked, right? Even if it worked, and we've seen how inefficient these things are, but I mean, what you're doing is you're taxing one group of people and you're, in theory, funneling that money through the government and through these taxes so that jobs are created and it gets funneled to another group of Americans. I mean, that is so much of this is, is close to it's language stuff, right? So they think that we should um, centrally plan, as you said, which is the real foible of all this, because we want to have more manufacturing jobs, because the alternative to manufacturing jobs is services jobs. And everyone sort of sneers at services yeah. jobs, you know, because like, they think it's, you know, working at Burger King, which I did once upon a time. And it wasn't a bad job. But services job includes, you know, investment bankers and financiers and lawyers and doctors and all the rest of the stuff and engineers. And a lot of our Exports, people don't understand this, are actually services. So like American engineering companies provide basically all the engineering services for all the oil exploration pretty much in the world, mm-hmm. uh, except for a few really sophisticated companies like Norway and the United Kingdom. Um, so we sneer at services because we think, you know, we're going to go down to the factory and get a job and, you know, be this, you know, old-fashioned 1950s guy and a thing that never really existed in the first place. I mean, I, maybe I am a globalist. Uh, <laughs> but if you're just looking at income... You know, I'd rather have the Goldman Sachs payday mm-hmm. and that job than what my grandfather you know, would have made working at a factory in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, so services job aren't necessarily all that bad. I mean, it's what I do, too. I mean, journalism, I suppose, counts as a services job. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I want to... Mm. <laughs> journalism a service? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I want to switch gears here. There is still fallout now with uh, John Schnatter and uh, Pop- Papa John's. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yes. This is, I like this one. This one's just fun. I mean, so, you know. I felt the, like after this heavy yeah. conversation, we needed something a little bit lighter. So, Louisville might change the Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, uh, and they might rename it, um, apparently after a racial, racial slur, which uh, New York Times seems to be telling us that I don't know if they're going to pick 
uh, a racial slur against Jews or blacks yeah, or what are they? A, I, that's, I, that's, that's a, a poorly, poorly written, worded uh, headline. headline. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to rename it after a racial slur. <laughs> N-word stadium. I'd go a different direction. <laughs> uh, I would go a different direction. Yeah, I'd, I'd play ball in Cracker Stadium. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so Pat, we have been talking a lot about is Texas going to turn blue? Right. And mm. uh, Beto is all the rage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard you talking about his past. There was a, a publication that came out that talked about he has a criminal record. Did it say? Yeah. He, yes, he does. He has a criminal record. Like those Irish, isn't it? He, yes. <laughs> uh, the, you mean the Irish Hispanics? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he has any it's, Hispanics. Uh, it's, it's called Spirish. <laughs> Spirish. He was also a member of a really good punk rock band uh, oh. back in the day. Which one? Um, Foss. Foss. You ever heard of Foss? No, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, they were terrific. <laughs> they had a Actually, song I called do know old Jesus, etc. And I can't find it anywhere, but I understand <laughs> once upon a time it was on MySpace. But, um, <laughs> wow, wow. He, MySpace. I mean, there is a blue wave, and we have so far <laughs> spotted uh, throughout Texas from all the calls and, and tweets and personal sightings. 16 pieces of Beto paraphernalia. Really? Whether it be a bumper <laughs> sticker or a yard sign. My neighborhood's 16. covered up. 16. Yeah. Wait, 16 and what, and what amount of time? What length of time have you been tracking? Eight months. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so your, your, so, your neighborhood is littered with them? Is oh, yeah, it's covered up in that stuff. Although, I, oh, you're wow. talking about the Blue Wave stuff. I noticed there was a headline on the cover of Texas Monthly this month that uh, how doomed is Lupe Valdez? <laughs> and I think she is pretty doomed. Um, I think he's doomed, too. I don't think he's yeah. going to win the race. Oh, yeah, but, um, he's not going to win. And, uh, Do you he, think it'll be close? He's not going to win. It'll be closer than expected. It'll be closer than any other candidate probably would have been. He's a pretty good candidate. Um, although he very... Uh, in a, in a chickenish kind of way, uh, refused to do an interview with me, and I was really looking forward to doing that. It would have been mm. fun. So, um, so if you're out there, Beto, you know, I'm, meditation's still there. He does watch overtime all the time. He does. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, Cruz has um, got a pretty safe seat for a long time, I think, and he's a pretty wily politician. Uh, people yeah. um, should not underestimate him. He's an awfully smart guy. He's raised a ton of money, though, yeah. um, from mostly Californians. Um, but... People actually, Are you worried about our, our, our western border at all? Yes, we need, a, we need a wall. The western border. We need a wall. <laughs> I need a wall on the west of uh-huh. Texas. Yeah, but along the Red River, too, maybe. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the whole thing. And one around Austin. Right. Oh, yeah. like a moat. Just to keep us out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Not to keep them in. No. There was a cartoon in The Onion years ago. It was Texas completes border wall, and it was along the northern border with a little barrier around uh, Austin to keep him in there. <laughs> so funny. What are they going to call Austin, though? Would they change the name? Caesar Chavez. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, okay. Chavez would be a nice. J Town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little J Town. J Town. Mm-hmm. I like it. Oh, that's, that's, that's nice. cute. That's a nice yeah, I like it. I like it. There's nothing controversial about him. No, not at all. <laughs> not to them. Uh, okay, so everyone remember to tweet us your questions, comments using the hashtag TheBlazeY. Uh, Lewis wants to know you guys were talking a lot about Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise. How is it that Tom Cruise went from completely crazy, everyone thought that he was insane, he's a Scientologist, and how come he didn't, he, he rebounded so well? What, what Carefully makes him, managed. That's it? For a very long period mm-hmm. of time. Carefully managed. I really think mm-hmm. this is, I think he's now past that. I mean, it's taken a long time before you stop, you know, seeing him jumping on Oprah's couch and talking about, you know, prescription 
you know, mood elevators. Uh, I think that he is, uh, I think he's finally passed it. He, and it was just caref- being carefully crafted every single time. Don't put yourself in a dangerous position. I'm trying to think of the people who have been able, there are very few people, Robert Downey Jr. was mm. able to make a comeback successfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, Tom Cruise. I can't think of anything. Did Tom Cruise really have a comeback? Yeah, he never had a real career uh, no, issue, he right? Never. It was just, he, you know. I, he, everybody wants everyone the still, light. I, everyone still went to see his films, but I think mm-hmm. that people viewed him negatively. Like, they were kind of freaked yeah. out yeah. by their, okay, he's totally crazy, but that action movie is so cool. I'm still yeah. going to What he has going for him, though, which, is, which really matters, is that he's really good at his job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's really good at yeah. that stuff. He is. When I was doing theater criticism, I went and saw a play in New York that Alec Baldwin was in. You know, Alec Baldwin's just the worst, right? And so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there just getting ready to hate this guy. Damn it, the guy's a really good actor, though. You know? yeah. <laughs> he was terrific. He, he really really was terrific is. in the play. He was in Orphans. You want to say just, bad things about him. You want to. I was just, yeah. I'm ready to savage him. I'm hoping he literally breaks, breaks yeah. a leg. But, uh, and, uh, you know, some of these people are just awfully good at what they do, and that really ends up mattering a lot. I think that, um, you know, some of these, you know, sort of marginalized sports figures and things, oh, if they're really all that good, maybe, um, maybe things would be different. But, um, you know, Tom Cruise is awfully good at his job. It's a weird job to have, I think, but um, he's good at it. Think The Rock's going to run? For what? President? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, David French had a pretty good story about him about a year ago, I guess, in his interest in politics. <clears throat> no one can quite pin down where he is. He should keep mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, I don't think he wants to take the pay cut, though, you know? I mean, he's, uh, he makes a billion dollars a year or something if like he's, that. Yeah, but if you make a billion dollars for the next five years, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know we all remember when a billion dollars was a lot of money. It meant something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so a lot of you know, Democrats have been having a really good time sneering at Republicans. Look what Donald Trump did to your party, you idiots. And, um, and fine, let them let do that. But they're not immune from this sort of thing. I mean, Republicans get it a little bit worse because they're so desperate for celebrity. So mm-hmm. I mean, like, oh, you know, it's we'll take the crappy Ted Nugent. Oh, my God, you know. <laughs> and Scott Baio. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're down with Scott Baio. Um, so Democrats have a little higher tolerance for celebrity because they're less, um, they're sort of more in that world. But they're totally vulnerable to it, and they're. I don't at, think there's. I think there's a chance we yeah. never go back to a non-celebrity. Yeah. So I mean, oh. a um, really? you know, a Sean Penn guy could sweep in there and make of their Tom party. Hanks. Tom Hanks, Denzel yeah. Washington. Can you imagine it's Oprah? Oprah. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, if one of these, you know, guys. Will Smith. Big, yeah. Mm-hmm. You see Will Smith come out this week. Yes. They are the good actors. They have the talent, right? Yeah, like yeah. they have all the good people. And if God, if they, I mean, this is, if this has told the world anything is that if the Republicans will go this way for Donald Trump, imagine what would happen if you had a really engaging celebrity that could put this together and have enough knowledge to get through it. It would be scary. They win. What's crazy is they win. Ronald Reagan was an actor, but he believed all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, he was deeply intellectual on what he believed. He, he wrote about it. He, spoke about it he studied it for years he had a profound change that's not what we're talking about he wasn't he was an actor who became the president but well but first he became governor and so that softened the blow of the acting yeah. uh thing too so he spent it was 20 years different. in political advocacy and he was yeah. a union boss and all that yeah. Stuff. yeah well and i did hear the rock came out and said that he was not going to run in 2020 and that he would need experience before he would Try to so do that. Play the president. <laughs> <laughs> Just play him in a movie. That's it. So Morgan Freeman then will yeah, be. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, that is it for us. Thanks so much for joining oh, my us. My pleasure. Yeah. 
And you. everyone, don't forget to uh, download uh, or subscribe and rate the podcast if you have not done that already. Like what you're hearing? Become a Blaze Premium subscriber and watch the show anytime, anywhere, live or on demand. Go to theblaze.com slash subscribe and start watching today.